Here we go, little little late night edition of Why Libertarian. Uh, if you are new to the program, I am Matt. As usual, like, comment, subscribe, share, hit the notification bell, retweet. I am on a couple of other uh, channels other than the traditional social media. So check out my link tree for the blockchain outlets that I'm streaming to Vim right now. I'm also on Twitch. Um, and this gets uploaded to Odyssey. So if you prefer to view on any of those outlets, definitely check me out and upvote me there. Uh, this is a fantastic episode. We got like a bunch of guests here, so I don't want to keep them waiting. Something that keeps coming up time and time again is this question of culture versus politics, right? Like, does, does governance happen first or does it happen second? I think a lot of us agree that culture is upstream from politics, but the question is, how do we get to a point where liberty is more prevalent in our lives? Uh, do we double down on the political angle of things or do we work to basically separate ourselves from the system and let that you know, market mechanism really kind of control how liberty is uh, you know, brought to our lives or, or at least preserved for ourselves in the here and now. So I'm going to bring in three awesome freaking guests. I got Sal the Agorist with us. I got Jose Galisan, and I got the clean libertarian Drew hitting up here with us. Um, so here's, here's my first question. My first question to all of you is, um, and I'm, I'll start off with you, Sal, because what really kind of kicked off this episode was a tweet that um, you had put out last week about the Mises Caucus and some of the like, you know, internal, uh, how, how should I put it, just like, you know, dick measuring that's happening in the Libertarian Party, right? Um, so with that, uh, I, I think you had put out a post that basically said it was a, essentially a circle jerk that's going on with the Mecocks and um, that you felt like it just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not productive from the standpoint of not just what's going on there, but just building a political party to do something that 
probably isn't going to be effective. Um, how do you come at it from that from that angle? Is it kind of that traditionalist, traditional Konkin kind of viewpoint, or do you have your own like kind of slant on it? Oh, we still got you on mute. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. There we go. Cool. Um, I vaguely remember that tweet. I don't remember it 100%, but I do remember something about the Mises Caucus and a circle jerk. Yeah. The one thing that I, that I could tell you is that as, as agorists, we, we practice anti-politics. That's, that's the whole name of the game. We don't engage in politics, that's, and that's their game. So we're naturally going to be uh, juxtaposed to one another. And yeah, I don't, obviously I don't think that party politics has ever worked. It's political parties have been around for centuries, if not millennia. If they could create a libertarian utopia, they would have by now. Counter economics has been, Sam Konkin died in 2004. Since that time, Uber has disintermediated, the taxi cartels, Airbnb has disintermediated, hotel cartels. Satoshi wrote the Bitcoin white paper. Ross invented the Silk Road. Cody Wilson invented the 3D printed gun, which was perfected by Ivan the Troll. We've made more advancements in the counter economy than any other particular strategy, not even just related to libertarianism, but even like something like communism. Like Marx died 150 years ago or more, and they haven't made any progress whatsoever. So, yeah, I, I believe in anti politics, it's the only way. All right, so this concept actually came up for not not necessarily the first time, but it came up recently too during an interview I did with you, Jose, and you brought up something interesting. We were talking about Dave Smith potentially running as like a presidential candidate or something like that in the Libertarian Party, and you had brought up an interesting point. You had essentially said that building, you know, the machine of a political party could end up being counterproductive, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I my biggest one of my big arguments I always rail on is I think political like like striving to use the political system for your benefit is a I think it's only works in the short term and even then doesn't really work. If you look in the long term, it's the same idea like you can look at the government as a whole and you can kind of look at incentives. Like which way do these incentives go? And now apply the same thing to political parties. There's a reason why the fucking politi politics suck. And then, but the idea they're like, well, we're going to come in here and we're going to change it. How is that in any way less dumb than being like, we're going to come in, like, like, like in the minarchist thought of like, we're going to fix this and somehow make this magically work. It's like, maybe you might get small wins here and there, and then you're going to cloud your thinking and be like, well, look at this small win I have. But it's like, yeah, but look at the bigger picture. Like, look at the, look over the course of decades. How does this work? You're building up this thing that's going to fuck you over. Like, that's really what it comes down to. And I just, I just think it's short-term thinking and it doesn't, you if you look in the long run, you know this is going to bite you in the ass. Like, for example, I brought up, I think, like, if they do run Dave Smith, I actually think he'll probably get the, he probably will get more votes than anyone's ever gotten. Most likely, he'd probably be up there. But then what happens after that? Like, what's the next step? These people like, like me, Sal, Clean, these, like, these folks who are, like, you know, pretty principled-ish anarchists, like, we... Like, if you are able to get any of our kind to be involved in this political machine, I think you're we're going to slowly move away because, like, we're going to, like, over time, we're going to be like, this is, we're, we're going to lose us. And then it's just going to end up falling back into its natural state with, with the blue pill bitches, you know, the, the Sarwarks, the, the, the people like that. It's just going to fall right back in their hands because this is where they are at home. This is their natural state. This is not where, you know, us anarchists are, are at home. You know what I mean? Like, I just think you're building up something that's 
you know, it's against your nature, if you will. And you're going to give it over to something that's in its nature. Yeah. Um, I, you come at it from kind of a unique perspective or not a unique perspective, but a specific perspective, right? Clean. Like you're, you're coming at it from, uh, the war on drugs. You're talk, coming at it from, you know, um, basically folks that have substance abuse problems and whether that's exacerbated by this, the, the centralized power of government and whatnot. Um, where do you kind of fall on the spectrum between, you know, agorism versus, uh, you know, big party politics and trying to beat up the two juggernauts that are out there. So out of all the board, the, the people on your screen right now, I am the least educated out of all of them. So <laughs> y'all just need to bear with me. Okay. I'm going to tell you like, this is, this is my wheelhouse and that is substance abuse, the criminal justice system and what has happened as a result of that. Right. So I'm an, I'm a nonviolent felon. So I'm coming at it from, from what I know and what I have to deal with. And like, I'm working, I, I'm maneuvering through this life the best way that I can without getting shot in the fucking head by the cops. You know what I mean? And so from where I'm at right now, like I 100% fall in line with the idea of counter economics. I 100% fall in line with the idea that the best way to beat the state is to undermine the state. And that's just a no brainer for me. It's, it's in the area of people like me who are in the books, you know, who are 100% labeled felon. Like, what do I do with this? You know? And so more or less, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I am a, a prominent member of the OKLP, um, Oklahoma Libertarian Party. I, I see value. And if nothing else than just having a political organization that is present, that is able to talk about this type of stuff. Um, eh, I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in this spot right now where I, I don't know whether or not a national party will ever do anything good or could ever do anything good. I think it's all bullshit. Once you get beyond the state, and really, even on the state level, I think it's kind of tough, but I, I, I do see changes that have been affected on the municipal and local levels, you know, here, even in my own backyard. So so that's a good question. And and that kind of leads me into this. Um, again, I'm 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 kind of in the middle here. Right. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for the most part. So clean doesn't feel like he's on his own uh, on this conversation. But. Um, so something like the Free State Project, like th that's a perfect example of what Clean's talking about, right? The Free State Project is something that um, I would I would say, and they would probably say that it's it's culture first, right? Like they're trying to bring in folks that uh, uh, prize liberty over all else, and then the politics kind of takes care of itself afterward. But somewhere in that core set of goals for the Free State Project is this concept of you know, inundating the state level elected offices in order to try and at the very least stop, right? Like, so I think, uh, and and forgive me if I'm misquoting here uh, or, or not understanding Sal, you know, agorism kind of like at its at its finer details, but this idea of, you know, status thinking is is aggression, right? Like it's, it's an inherent violation of the non-aggression principle to feel like you can use the government to, dictate or or even in some cases you know give people liberty right like or give them freedom um and and so you know what they're doing up there in new hampshire is that something where you would say like you know 
they really don't even technically need the state elected representatives. They could just do it on their own without the, the, the you know, mechanism of politics. Well, um, that, that's sort of a different tactic um, than, uh, than, than the Libertarian Party. So that, like, the Free State Project, seasteading, private cities, I sort of grouped them together under one heading, which is anarcho-Zionism. Because that's what that's what Sam called it. He wrote a, a very famous paper on it. Actually, it's not famous, but it, amongst agorists, it's famous, and I highly recommend everybody read it. Um, and the, I I used to, I had Joe Quirk on my show. I was like planning on moving to the Free State Project, and I read this article, and that was like that was it. Not doing that anymore. And the thing that convinced me the the I'll, the line in that article that convinced me was this. He says. These sorts of anarcho-Zionist projects, they, they rely on the moral restraint of politicians who have demonstrated time after time that they have none. So let's imagine that um, the Free State Project succeeds and they become uh, their own politically independent state, right? I mean, that's sure. crazy, but uh, let's assume that it happens. Uh, then what, right? Do they, do they, are they naive enough to think that the federal government won't genocide them? like they did to the South Carolinians or the Georgians, because they have no problem doing that to protect their tax racket. They've done it before and they'll do it again. Um, so no, anarcho-Zionism is another um, strategy that I also dismiss. And ironically, the secessionists have actually gotten just as mad at me as the party arc have, if you can believe that. <laughs> Well, that, that's true equality in, in terms of the number of people that you've pissed you know off. There, there is one thing, though. There is one thing. One other point I want to bring up here. You said that um, culture is downstream from politics, and I, I don't agree. I think that... Upstream. Right, right. Yeah, right. Okay. So I think it's vice versa. I think that um, politics is affected by culture. And that's generally, if you, if you look at like what Hans Hoppe wrote about time preference and how... Um, Culture is sort of uh, uh, a side effect of the central bank's policies and of the, inf the, the inflation, because if people have cheap devalued money, they're more likely to want to consume now rather than save capital for the future. And not saving capital for the future has a whole host of negative consequences in one's life. You don't have money to build credit or to put a down payment on a house or to raise a family. All of these things affect culture. So I don't even think that the Free State Project could affect uh, the culture in, in this in this positive way, but even if they could, I think it's naive of them to think that the federal government would just allow them to just sort of wander off in their own direction. Yeah, I. What are your thoughts on that, Jose? Oh, you muted. <laughs> oh, I'm mute. I'm used to just, just trying to be quiet instead of muting. But um, fucking, I, I don't really have too strong of thoughts. I mean, another thing, like I don't necessarily think, like say with secession and sea saying and stuff like that. I mean, that's not my thing. But I think overall, my biggest thing is I would prefer, I think advocating not utilizing the political system will in some senses naturally create those sort of effects. And, I'm, and in a weird kind of way, being non-political, I think in some senses may end up driving those type of political things. Because I think, you know, thoughts like secession or even or even a soft secession or nullification, because if we just have a group of people who are just disregarding the state or you know, or like, well, we're part of the state, but we kind of don't give a shit. Like, in a sense, it's kind of just like secession or a soft secession. I mean, that's kind of what I prefer. So, like, I would – so, like, ha driving this attitude of, like, like not being involved in that, I think, also drives this attitude of disregard. It helps drop this idea of this illusion of authority that the g government somehow has. 
And I think that's how we get going forward. We get areas where like, we'll probably have pockets of freedom kind of like Konkin was kind of getting at in his books where I don't necessarily think it will be like magical anarchy land, but it'll be like, you know, it's kind of like a, almost like, well, it's like 75%, you know, Liberty over here. But like, there are some Mm -hmm. idiots who kind of still, there are some rules and we kind of sort of pay attention to them and kind of somewhat, pay attention to state, but not really. It's kind of like now you see it now kind of forming where in the country where you live in a rural area, people don't give a shit about the mass mandates. Like, but it's still also this thing where it's like, eh, you know, I mean, like we're still part of state, but it's like, they have these certain things they kind of don't really give a damn about. Same thing goes for like gun control. Like, I mean, there are places where you go in the country and it's just like a joke. Like, look at, look at my bump stock. Like they don't give a shit. Like, but it, and they may not openly recognize that, but that is them disregarding the state. And if we can like continue to push that mindset, then it gets it, it's getting us closer and closer to freedom. It's so, yeah. but I also think it kind of naturally has the effect of ending up with people who maybe secede or seceded or whatever. That doesn't mean you have to do. That. I think you're you're kind of driving it that way in a sense, you know. So yeah. by ironically, by being not politically active, you kind of in a weird way affect the politics, you know. Because then also you got to think these politicians are looking at this populace that kind of don't give a damn about them, and they have to operate within that that framework of like, I'm, uh, I'm walking a tightrope here. So what do I do? You know, is that a conversation in the Oklahoma LP clean? Like, do y'all talk about like, if we ever get any traction that you're going to be essentially targeted and they won't allow you to do what you're trying to do politically? I mean, it's, it's something that, especially when you get into the more rural areas, that's just kind of a known thing. Like Oklahoma is still kind of wild West in some spots, man. Like, I can't remember what county it was, but we had this this county sheriff who was like had a pretty big methamphetamine trafficking ring going on. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, he did that for a long time. And so it's not so much a conversation that we have, but we do have the unique um, the unique environment of having more people who are at least somewhat in line with the ideas of Liberty than some other States that we might go to like New York city or something like that. But uh, as far as like going all out agorist, like we do have people that are involved with the party who have like their own homestead, you know, they're doing their own thing. They're not asking permission to do it. They're building their own lifestyle in that way. So uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question or not. I'm all over the place with that, but yeah. Well, look, from my position, I I can see it happening regardless, right? Like, I I could see that pushback from the state regardless. And in fact, Konkin talks about in um, uh, the New Libertarian Manifesto, he talks about, like, that transition between, I think it was phase two and phase three, right? Like, the state gets to a point where it's essentially, its existence is threatened, and it lashes out, right? Like, it fights back. I think the same would exist for... If, if it was more of like a libertarian party wave that was, you know, uh, kind of pushing the issue, the question becomes, and and obviously, like, I've, I've never talked to the man. I don't know if you ever talked to the man, Sal, like in terms of Konkin and, and or seen interviews where he's talked about it. But is it this idea that uh, agorism is more stealthy than, say, you know, the 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 lineup of troops of the libertarian party rushing the field of battle like is that the aspect of agorism that is 
going to make it a little bit more effective because I can see the state fighting back regardless, right? Like if you're threatening their control and their power structure, they're going to fight back somehow. Stealth is the argument that we make to the sovereign citizens. Um, consistency is the argument that we make to the party arcs. So like, whereas like a sovereign citizen will get out of their car and just start shooting at cops. We're like, that's not a good idea. You're not going to live very long if you do that. No. Instead, try to be the gray man. Like my buddy Jack Spierko says, blend into the background and just try to like not be seen. That's, that's really an OPSEC is a whole separate issue within the Agoras community. But in terms of like the party, it's, it's all about consistency, right? Why, like a lot of times you hear, why not both? Well, like, why should we allocate, you know, if, do you think that the university, the local university should allocate equal resources to teaching kids geocentrism and heliocentrism? No, one of those, one of those ideas is wrong. The other is right. And that's why we should not do both because one of these ideas is actually true. One of them isn't. And party politics is an inconsistent theory in that, I mean, the, the idea is that we're going to end political institutions, but this particular institution, we have to nurture and grow and, and try to sort of see it through. And that's that's an inconsistency. It's inconsistent to say we believe in the, in the non-aggression principle, but we were going to actually we're going to become president. We're going to force you to abide by our mandates, even if those mandates are you're going to agree with them. It's still they're still trying to attain political office. And that's that's an inconsistent approach. But at the end of the day. It's all about politics versus anti-politics. Like that's the whole thing. Like agorism, think about it. Everything that agorists do is based in the market and everything that party arcs do is based in politics. And that's sort of the, the really inherent difference there. We don't operate in the political arena at all. We only operate in the market, whereas they only operate in the political arena and they don't operate in the market. And that, that, that that's really the problem. Well, I, what would you say clean if someone said, uh, what Sal just said, right? Like, just let the market will out. Well, I, I, I think I would also argue that, like, you know, <clears throat> any libertarian POTUS candidate who's actually thinking they're going to go to the White House should be immediately put in a fucking mental institution. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding? 1.2% in the national election in the last one. You know, and granted, there was some fumbles. Get the fuck out of here, though. Anybody who's taking that seriously, like, we got a shot. No, you fucking don't at all you know um but beyond that i think like so here's kind of where I, I i i wrestle with it too because we do put a lot of resources into like running candidates and trying to get people elected well the unique thing that the oklp doing is also community-based events for people like we we help fundraise and keep a halfway house open locally. Uh, one of the other things we're about to do is like a narcan drive for a local nonprofit needle exchange like Man, if we're not going to win elections, at least we can do some positive things for people around us, right? And so that's kind of like where I'm at. The the, the purely political solution. I don't. I don't. I have yet to meet anybody affiliated with the Libertarian Party who thinks if we just get enough votes, we can change everything. I think the majority of it is the belief that, you know, if nothing else, we're at least sp spreading this message of liberty, you know, and as. Um, John Phillips, if you know Kim Ruff, John Phillips, they started running early and then they dropped out. But I, I look up to John. He's he's a very good good guy. If you ever get a chance to interview him, you should. But I ask him, you know, like, are you an anarchist or a anarchist? And he said, today I'm a anarchist, and tomorrow we can worry about the other. Like his view, and a lot of people align with that, is that 
if we can just get a little bit of this fucking boot off of our neck, then we can worry about going the full measure on the next day. But in the immediate sense, you still have Ross Ulbricht being created. You still have Ruby, Ruby Ridge and Waco's waiting to fucking happen. And they're not going to stop because we just ignore them. Like that's going to continue to happen. So that's kind of the idea that I have at least with, you know, investing in something like that. Yeah. Um, let, let me just hop in just real quick. Notice though how like like even by your description though the OKLP is at its most effective when they're not engaging in politics, right? It's when they're setting up those halfway houses. That's that's real good work, but they don't have any success running candidates, and that is a waste of resources. And that's that's really the 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 point that the that I think a lot of Mises caucus or ANCAPs in the in the party. I think that's the final step that I think they have to make, you know. I, I can understand that. And I don't want to we haven't had zero success. We have had a, a, a few. Granted, the ratio to success to not, I mean, obviously we're the fucking LP. What do you expect? But you know, just honestly, I'm not gonna come on here and fluff anybody. Like we need to be able to take our licks just like anybody else. We need to be able to look at the situation for what it is, not put our head in the sand and pretend like we're doing great when no, we're not. But one of the things that we're doing is I came into the idea of following even you, Sal, on, on Twitter and, and other people, uh, Pete Quiones, um, Liberty Weekly, uh, and Cap Keith, uh, all those guys. I found out about y'all because Gary Johnson ran as an LP candidate. I didn't just wander into Liberty Twitter or Liberty Facebook or whatever it was like, and that's kind of, that's what a lot of people are trying to do. And, and, and the value in people seeing the Mises caucus doing what they're doing within the party is that hopefully there'll be more people driven to understanding about agorism and counter economics and, and, you know, undermining the state at every turn. But unfortunately people tend to operate within the systems that they know. And currently everybody knows you gotta, you know, we gotta make changes at the voting booth. Yeah. I mean, well, we, we kind of talked about that, Jose, right? We talked about <clears throat> the idea that maybe p the, 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 you know, quote unquote, political efforts should be more broadcasting a message as opposed to trying to build an apparatus. Would you say that that would be a little bit better use of time and resources? Uh, I, I, maybe you're misremembering it. I don't know what I said because I, <laughs> I actually, I think that is the most valuable argument that there is for that. But I still yeah. think it's flawed because even then I think it naturally reverts to its normal state. Because even then I can't I mean I, I mean if I'd like prepared a little bit more I could probably provide excerpts. But I've heard even Dave Smith say some shit before where I'm like he's insinuating stuff like oh votes or or we can get this office or that office and it's like already kind of steering away from this pure messaging thing like. And even then, I think like this pure messaging thing is kind of what I was getting at earlier. And whatever gains you get out of this shit, I think is inevitably going to be taken from you later. You know, whether it's five, ten, fifteen years from now, because I think we have these like these these waves of like you know quote unquote principled periods where it's like these people are basically almost there. They're just strategies off. They're 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 engaging in the politics, at least in my opinion. And we get all these gains, and then inevitably just reverts back to the fucking. You know, what do you call them? Whether like Reed calls them the bitch fuck cucks, you know, like or, or the blue pill libertarians or whatever you want to call them. They're going to revert back to those people. I like to call them centrists because I think that's what they are. But it's going to inevitably revert back to that. And the thing is, that it's just going to be built off these gains that you got. I also want to 
kind of touch on something real quick because it was kind of bugging me, and I want I want to hop in. There was two things. Uh, one thing I don't remember what it was something Sal said that spur- spurred it. A lot of people don't realize Konkin had a class theory, and his class theory was basically status and non-status. So, and, and status was anyone who engaged in politics whatsoever. And then there's the other. And I know it sounds extreme, but I mean, I've been hearing like Pete Quinones and some other people go on for a while now about how we need a class theory, but we need a libertarian class theory. And it's like, I just want to like scream and be like, this is it. Like, I do think Marx had, a, like, there was a lot of utility in the concept of a class theory and fucking Konkin hit the nail on the head. And it's like, here it is. Like, this is what we need to be screaming from the rooftops and fucking like, but I, everyone wants to hold on to this, this, this idea of a libertarian party. And it's like, I just, I don't think it's the way going forward. I also wonder real quick. Looks like Sal wants to say something, but uh, we were kind of touching at uh, earlier. You were kind of getting at like, you know, the state's just going to stamp you out. And it's like, and I, I always get so irritated because people always throw Ruby Ridge or fucking Waco in your face. I'm like, I don't know any agorists are like, hey, you should go be a fucking island with you and your group in a very fucking, in a, in a secluded area and just like throw a middle finger up to, to the federal government and be like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> it's probably not going to end well. But most agorists are like, like look at something like Freedom Cells. Like Freedom Cells is a decentralized network that just like expand or expands across the entire world. Like, how, what are you gonna do with that? Like, you could kill John Bush and it still exists. Like, it, it, but the thing was like things like secession. I mean, I mean, we can argue kind of like Hoppe does. Does that there were different things that there are preferable things. So I might be able to argue that in some sense secession is preferable to the federal government we have. But I still don't think it's the best and I, I i would i would not endorse it but the reason why secession is flawed is because usually it's some sort of factions it's like here's this faction with some sort of centralized head or whatever and it's like now you have two two bodies that can go to war or whatever but when you have this de- decentralized network it's like what are you gonna do there's not a goddamn thing you can do it's just like trying to fight the afghanis it's like there's just gonna you're just gonna create more <laughs> you know <laughs> So I just wanted to hop in because um, we were talking about the goal of the party being to educate people. And I have this um, article that Murray Rothbard wrote in for the Libertarian Forum in, in May of 1972. So it's an old article, but I want to give you a quote from it. It's a, it's a long quote, but I'll, I'll keep it as quick as possible. He says, more substantially, Mr. Nolan writes that the primary purpose of the party is not immediate electoral victory, but to educate the public in libertarian ideas. We never thought otherwise. But the problem with this approach, a long-standing objective of minor parties, is that the psychology of the mass of the public is being educated and overlooked. Let us take, for example, the old Socialist Labor Party, which every four years for nearly a century has been nominating presidential candidates and getting them on the ballot. What impact has what impact on the electorate has the SLP achieved? The problem is that the party is so small, so flagrantly unviable that the educational impact for socialism has ranged sternly from zero to negative. He goes on to say, why then does the SLP continue to slog along decade after decade? And this is the important part. Even after, even though unheeded by one and all, it's because they managed to ingest just enough funds to keep the party bureaucracy going. In short, as so often happens with ideological and social action groups, the ends have been lost sight of and the means, the preservation of the party bureaucracy have become the end. And I think that's really like the key. Like you can educate people from the duopoly, right? But you can't do it from a minor party. And I think 
again, going back to Rothbard, Rothbard speaks about this idea of compulsory cartelization, where he says that, I'm sure you guys are probably familiar with it. I'm not going to explain the whole concept, but like, if you look at like the Federal Reserve, they've cartelized the banking industry, or FINRA has cartelized the brokerage industry. In the same exact way, the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, has cartelized the red market. Right. So they will not tolerate any sort of competition in the red market whatsoever. If you're not a Republican or you're not a Democrat, you are not allowed in the cartel. It's the same thing with like the banks or, or any other cartel. So the fact that the LP can't ever grow to become something that is capable or viable uh, or capable of, of educating people is a result of the way that the whole system is structured. They're, they're, it's a, the deck is stacked against them. It, they're, they're trying to bust open the cartel, but it's not going to work. I, I would say I'm going back to or, or pulling all of those points together. I would say that I, I've seen more ROI on cultural or, or culture building activities within the libertarian community than I have necessarily behind any like single campaigns or anything like that. Um, and it's because that recruitment aspect of it, um, I, I, I would think that Konkin would would be in agreement that, and this is kind of embodied somewhat in like what what uh, John Bush is doing down down in in Texas, is like living freedom, like living liberty, attracts people, right? And so you don't necessarily need a bully pulpit. You just need like a bunch of people whose friends are like, wow, they seem like they live a good life, right? Um, and and they don't seem like the government fucks with them too much. So I don't want the government to screw with me either. So maybe I'll find out what the hell they're doing, right? Um, I, I, I think that's an interesting aspect of it. I think a lot of people are going to have to, and again, this is like, we're now talking subsets of subsets of subsets, right? Like I, what's funny is like, even you know eight, nine months ago, I would have called myself probably like a minarchist, right? And then I went straight to ANCAP Okay, and right now I'm I'm legitimately entertaining the idea of you know uh, agorism and 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 decentralization um, and and the markets truly being that great equalizer, regardless of what happens on the political level. Um, but there's a big mental divide to get over there. Like a lot of people, as much as anarchists make fun of like neocons and republicans for like you know getting shit on by the police but then they're like yeah but we need the police so like we just need to like make sure that they do a better job or or that they have some better internal controls right um that mental divide is just as big as the mental divide of even ancaps getting to this point where they're like you know what we don't even need a political apparatus we can just do this on our own um <laughs> I, I would imagine clean you're probably feeling that right like it's it's one of those things where you're like you see the precipice in front of you <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and you know it's I, i'm just operating off of of what i what i have been okay i don't know how to how to describe this how to so like my my whole thing if if the drug war were to end tomorrow I likely wouldn't be involved with the LP at all uh, under yeah. any circumstances. If the drug war were to end, if they were to decriminalize, stop throwing people like me in prison, stop giving people like me felonies, 
that that is the one area of expertise I have when it comes to economics, when it comes to wars of aggression. I've never been in the military. I don't know shit about Konkin. I don't know shit about any of these guys that you all talk about. But you seem really convinced. And so therefore, I'm convinced as well. Right. It kind of follows that line. But the one thing that I do know is that, like, I can't even volunteer at my daughter's school because of my felony. I cannot even go on a field trip with my kid to the zoo with her class because I have a drug charge. I can't be caught. If I get pulled over with a friend for speeding, they search the car and he happened to have a, a registered handgun to his name under the seat. I go to jail for that. I don't know how to fix that without getting involved to some degree. I don't know how to just look the other way and then hope that that more cases like me don't happen or eventually the state's going to realize like, oh yeah, this isn't working. One thing that I do see happening, uh, hopefully, is that we can at least get somebody, somebody or enough people in a municipality, a larger area than that, maybe a state that we can change some of this, you know? And so... I know I'm I'm all over the place, man. I'm trying to keep up with y'all. I'm I'm struggling though. <laughs> well, well, Sal's, well, Sal's writing shit down, and I'm just yeah. like, oh god, <laughs> what the fuck is he writing? <laughs> well, Damn it! I, I think the, the it, correct me if I'm wrong, Sal, but the first note that you probably wrote was, well, you can volunteer at homeschool. There's no problem with that. Yeah. I like to think he's just drawing wieners over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you definitely like you. De you just stole my thunder there a little bit, but yeah, that's basically what I was going to say is that if you homeschool, which is a counter-economic activity, then you go on your field trips with your kid. But go ahead, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think, I think that's the mental divide, right? Like the, um, the attachment to centralized just society in general, right? Like. Po whether it's politics or whether it's just the the socioeconomic system that we're attached to, I think that is the drug, right? Like that's the thing that we're we're attached to, and so um, I think a lot of people have uh, agorist tendencies in certain areas, right? Like so, even before I became active as a libertarian or anything like that, my wife and I were big time in favor of homeschooling. Because we identified the the propagandizing and basically the 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 grooming that's done by a public centralized education system, and so we saw that and we were like, yeah, not our kids. We're we're going to let them kind of explore and learn the world on their own. But I, it's tough when you try and put all of the pieces together. But I, I can tell you that there's there's definitely people all over the map within the Libertarian Party that have those tendencies. I mean. Shit, even cab drivers, it's probably a bubble at this point if cab drivers are asking me about, you know, Bitcoin and stuff like that. But um, the the idea of, you know, decentralized money or and, and that would be the other argument I would say is I've seen. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of the Hive blockchain and the Hive blockchain, if no one understands the, the backstory there is it used to be Steam, right? The Steam blockchain was it, right? It was one of the high flyers of that was competing on the social media spectrum against Twitter and, and Facebook and everything like that. And then what happened in uh, under the cloak of night, there was this like hostile takeover that happened where they tried to take the majority of the voting crypto so that they could put in witnesses and judges that are centralized to the owner's son. 
and a lot of people caught wind of it and they went fuck that i'm out and they started their own and they hard forked and moved away from it so i can see that the problem is conceptualizing because what we're essentially talking about is a centralized control mechanism being government and the socioeconomic system that we're in right now and the question is like how do you hard fork from it well you're, you you can't do it by yourself. I mean, like, you can go live out in the middle of the woods and stuff like that, but, you know, like Jose said, you know, try and do that and build a compound and stuff and see what happens. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to have a really big target on you. Um, but I, I, I think that's that's the communication that has to happen. It has to be the, the conversation has to focus on those things that people do have those tendencies and then just kind of, you know, continue to just go back to that every single time. It's like, you know, well, you know, um, who I, I was talking to my grandmother the other day and we were talking about the monopoly of education. And she was like, yeah, it creates shitty teachers. And then she's a hardcore Republican. And I was like, yeah, kind of like how the monopoly on force creates shitty cops. And she was like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, wait a minute, you know? <laughs> um, and, and so there was that moment where the cognitive dissonance, like you can use the one area where you have agreement to then kind of like translate into the other. But so let, let me let me ask you, like, what what is the what's the next phase? Right. Like, are we still in the early phases of agorism and detachment? Because I see things happening COVID-19 where it's not politicians that are causing these things to stop. It's people that are videotaped like, you know, kicking the health department out of their their restaurant. Um, I mean, what's the next step, right? Like, is there something to be had here where we have momentum going forward? You want to take that, Jose? Sure. I kind of think so. I mean, this is kind of something I, I brought up on your episode. And I mean, I think going forward, we're going to see, I mean, especially with all like the agenda 2030 and shit like that. I think we're dealing with a dying beast. I'm starting to think, oh, holler at Top Lobster, by the way. Uh, he's the fucking shit. Um, but, um, yeah, um, I think going forward, we're kind of, kind of see the state receding into er certain areas where it feels more powerful. I think we're going to start seeing kind of what a lot of what Konkin was talking about. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, when I first read Konkin, I thought, well, we're not that far along. And then now I'm starting to think like, well, shit, maybe we're actually further along in his thought in his, in his fucking stages than I thought we were. I mean, I don't know the stages as well as Sal probably does. But I, I remember, like, now I've been looking like, shit, I think we're further along than I thought. Like, I think come, like, 2030, we're going to see, like, these areas of, like, rural spots where it's going to be far more, you know, people with far more, like, uh, counter-economics type shit. I don't even – I think it's going to be more – it's not even going to be so much agorists that are, like, fucking on the up and up knowing, like, philosophically this is what I'm doing. But I think we're going to have a lot more of, like – fucking just people who are doing it just naturally kind of like uh you know like that was a big thing Konkin went into in his his books so that how there are those who are just doing it like drug dealers prostitutes um i mean shit waitresses that don't report their tips whatever like people are already naturally doing it and the more the state stamps down the more people naturally do it and they may not philosophically be like this is what we're doing i think there is a edge to informing people this is what they're doing that way they can embrace it essentially embrace what they're doing because i feel like a lot of these people are like they're doing it but it's almost like this like in the back of their head they're like i should sort of maybe feel ashamed a little bit but if you can be like nah fuck the state like i mean if who cares like as long as you aren't hurting anybody do you boo boo like who gives a shit like, that's kind of 
And I, that's why I kind of think basically agorism is in a nutshell. It's just like being like, hey, fuck the state. Do what you want so long as you aren't hurting people. And yeah, and I think it's just a it's a principled application of it. Uh, I forget what the what the saying Conkin said, but it's essentially like uh, God, fuck. You probably know what I'm getting at Sal. Like the how uh, like being consistent in your approach or whatever. God, I'm gonna look look back later and be like, that's what I meant to say. I had an eloquent thing and I just fucked up there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Save him, Sal. Save him. <laughs> Conkin definitely. I mean, that was. And if you if you read the primer, the whole point of the primer is is logical consistency, right? That's the whole message he's trying to give you um our yeah means no should be i consistent with our ends that's what it was it's something, along line, it's something along the lines of our means should be consistent with our ends i think yeah was, yeah. yeah there that, you go that's what i was trying to say that's that's, that's <laughs> the whole selling point to me like that's the whole selling point i look at it like i'm a huge science nerd i don't know you know if you guys are nerds too or not but like so like we like if you think about like newtonian mechanics like it wasn't the final description of reality right that didn't come like that was the accepted version. That was everybody thought that was right. It was great. It worked for all intents and purposes. And then Einstein comes along and just knocks the whole card over. That's sort of the difference between agorism and anarcho-capitalism. Anarcho-capitalism is like a not completed theory, and agorism represents the final completion. But I know um, we got started on this topic by I think there was like a question or something like that, but I forget what, what the original question was. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think we were talking about just what, like, what's the next step, right? Like, is it just more of the right. same? Right, right. So like, so there's four, there's four phases to the agorist revolution. Um, everybody seems to think we're somewhere different. Most agorists I speak to, um, at least the ones who know, who know agorism pretty well, tend to think we're around phase two or three. I think I actually agree with Jose. I think we're a little bit further along than most people think. I think we're in phase three. The reason why is Konkin writes that we'll know that we're in phase three when we start to see private infrastructure competing with state infrastructure. That'll be one of the telltale signs. And we, we're starting to see that. Like, I, uh, There's a good book um, by Brad Smith, who's a former chairman of Microsoft, who says that Microsoft is trying to, they're expanding broadband access into rural parts of the country um, which was a job normally reserved for the government, right? See Tennessee Valley Electrification Authority, whatever it was called back then, that FDR screwed up. But now private infrastructure is taking on that role. And that's the sort of, we're starting to get there. We're starting to see that. And I think Jose is right. By 2030-ish, I don't hate to put a time on it, but I think by somewhere around then, we're going to see private enclaves. We already start to see it, right? Like in, in Miami, you have the Bitcoin Center, Um in Mexico or Derek Rose's, there's a whole group of agorists down there doing stuff. There's agorists in Japan and Tokyo who I know who are like, oh, they're all grouped together. But eventually these sort of pockets, these enclaves of, of agorists are going to sort of form this network. And that's what Conkin referred to as a new libertarian alliance. And then we're going to start to see a real pushback against the state for things like private defense agencies, which is the holy grail of agorism. Once we have that, then it's sort of game over. I'll be the first one to sign up for protection against, you know, the politicians. Yeah. Well, I, what's funny is if, if you look at it now, the politicians already have private protection, right? Like the the there's even been instances where government agents have run into conflict with the privately hired security of politicians and and you know the other folks that are kind of at the, the top of the pyramid so to speak in the power structure 
Um, but I, I would agree. I think there's actually a, there's actually a town here in New Jersey where I live where their police force is completely privatized. It has been for like 20 or 30 years. Um, and that's like phase one. I mean, like phase two ends up being, you know, um, you know, going online and being like, oh, I want to sign up for some privatized security coverage. Like, you know, I got three firms and they're all offering me different packages or or um, if you're in more of a rural area that's underserved, it's like, oh, well, you know, a couple of guys are getting together and they're going to create, you know, a, a privatized security force here in order to help protect us as a community. That's happening. That's happening. Look at look at what um, uh, Dale Brown is doing in Detroit. And he's no, you know, he's certainly not an anarchist, but um, he's done exactly what you just described, right? He's been so fed up with the failure of the state to provide security services that he's created his own. And it's, yeah. it's out-competed the, market, or the, the state's uh, version. Yeah. Uh, TD's coming in saying Detroit Threat Management, Yes, I think is the, the name of the organization. And uh, just to just to pop in, I don't know if he's trolling or not, but uh, Jim Tim said, uh, "Sal, stop stealing neocons memes." <laughs> dude, can, I, can I tell you something? The dude had me blocked, so I couldn't have I couldn't have retweeted him if I wanted to. He had me blocked, <laughs> him, but now I'm unblocked, so now I can retweet him. So yeah, the, the one before is better. Also, Conkin was fat, and I could beat him in a fight easily. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Conkin was always carrying us. The problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, from that standpoint, uh, do you think that resources should be re redeployed to, or, or or not even deployed at all? Like, what what would the what would your druthers be? Like, just that the Libertarian Party said, "Look, we're going to become more of a what an an educational entity that's going to help people on the road to agorism." Would I, I mean what I think should happen to the LP? I think. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like, it, it, what what would serve the the purpose of getting to a, a state where folks have more access to liberty? Right. I believe, it, I believe that the board of the LP should turn themselves in. I believe they should hand themselves over to the Agora. They should be gulagged for robbing people. They have they have participated in this as a political institution, and they belong in a work camp with the rest of the criminals. Um, you know, look, if you if you rob people, we can we can sit there and pretend like, all right, look, they're politicians. That was their job. But the fact of the matter is they belong in a labor camp where they can work off their restitution to their victims, just as Conkin described. And that's exactly it's the only way to deal with these people in a way that is consistent with the non-aggression principle. People make fun of it. They say, oh, the Agoras gulags. And I say, well, it's a hell of a lot better than any other solution that I've heard. It's the only one that's consistent with the non-aggression principle. It's the only one where the victims are made whole and the and the, the suspect doesn't have to die or lose an arm or get shot or police face wall or something like that, you know? Yeah. Well, I so I have a point to say about that uh, afterward, but uh, Clean, you had a very <laughs> visceral reaction to that statement. <laughs> That's just some wild shit. That's all I'm gonna say. That's some wild shit. I did not think Take I did. Take the clean. <laughs> I've been before. I'm sure I'll go again. I mean, goddamn. Not if you. Not you. Done time. It's me. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. I can handle it. Um, <laughs> you can send Nick Starwork all you want. Put that motherfucker. Yeah, that's right. Hundred percent. Yeah. I fuck. Yeah. I'll help you. Let's go right now. We'll fucking carpool to New Hampshire. We'll get that son of a bitch. He will not do well in a work camp. Have you seen him chopping no. the tree? <laughs> 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 that's funny. Oh, 
But no, Hopefully the not. camp has better flip-flops. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I what, Now, a lot of people would hear you say that, Sal, and they would have a really um, – they would be put off, right? But what's funny is if they actually – or not what's funny, but if, if, if they read a little bit more about agorism, this idea of um, arbitrated – uh, you know, it, like the the big reason most people will cling to government or governmental structures is conflict, right? Resolution. That's that's a lot of the times why they're clinging to some kind of centralized power. Um, one of the things that Konkin that that I took to heart here and and like I've been battling with internally is okay if we had some kind of conflict, someone was wronged, even up to and including murder, right? How do you how do you rectify that situation? Because even you, Clean, I, I I know you would agree that our criminal justice system right now is fucked. Like it yeah. does, it doesn't, it doesn't create any kind of um, um, fix to what went wrong, right? Like there's no um, even when someone has to pay restitution, it's bullshit. Like it doesn't actually move to try and you know fix or make up for what what went wrong. Konkin was a big advocate for you know, independent arbitrators that would then uh, essentially come up with a way or a means for someone who did do something awful to try and kind of like rebalance things or at least equate things back out, which um, in some cases is, you know, your ass has to do some hard labor in order to kind of like fix what you broke, you know. Um, but I, I, I think that's something that a lot of people would necessarily, you know, or, or would probably at the face of it, they'd be like, holy shit, I can't believe he just said he just said that. But truthfully, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I would imagine all three of us are against the death penalty, right? Yeah. So yes I, and no. It, yes and no. Oh, uh, all right. <laughs> Let's go. Roll with I, it. I, I'm against the, the state utilizing the death penalty. I mean, I know that's a, a silly, uh, it's almost yeah, semantic, true. but, you know, I mean, I just don't trust giving a coercive organization that sort of power. But uh, if it's a non-coercive organization, and if it's a, you know, they got to deal with the uh, fucking effects of it. I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. We kind of get in the weeds when we're talking about criminal justice and how it would apply in an anarchist state. I would leave that to smarter people than myself. But for the most part, I mean, I, I it's the it's the it's the coercive organization of the state applying it. That's really the, uh, the issue for me. <laughs> so. I'm all for killing people who fucking do fucked up shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you hurt my daughter, you're going to die. I don't care what philosophy that you're going to, you know, hold up. Like, I, I don't care. I'll gladly do my time if I need to. But, yeah, no. I mean, there's certain there's certain instances. And, you know, Top Lobster, for sure. Like, you know, pedos, man. Like, that, no. You don't get to touch kids and walk away from that. There's no hard labor that's going to make that kid whole again. You know, I mean, if, if, if someone touched me, they I, I could come up with a number that I, I could they could work for me for a certain period of time. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I now now people are going to be combing your feed, Sal, for uh, whether or not the wood chipper makes very many. Uh, <laughs> Conkin even, even thought that um, you could put a price on your own life. So Conkin thought like I could declare my life was worth X amount of money. And that if Joe Schmo killed me, then uh, he'd be liable for X amount of money. So if you can put a value on your life, you can put a value on anything. Wait, course, what's crazy honestly, is 
Good. What's sorry. crazy is it, I, I, I went in reading his take on those things. I can remember at a younger time in my life thinking, and this was when I was more, you know, I've spent time on either side of the political, you know, the, the contrived political spectrum. When I was more on the left side, and that's really what brought me to kind of like the anti-death penalty, uh, uh, you know, tact. I one of the things I thought was like, well, how does this, how does this kind of rebalance things, or or how does this, you know, work to at least kind of lessen the 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 loss that's associated with something, whether it's a, a an attack, a, a murder, a theft, or something like that. Um, and so, you know, there are all these awful crimes where I'm like, look, if this person's spending lifetime in prison or whatever. I make them volunteer for a nonprofit that helps to, you know, rectify the problems and try and fix the problems in the long, you know, and you know what, I, I was also of the mindset, I was like, look, give them the option. Like you could spend the rest of your life working for a nonprofit to try and fix the shit that you did, right? Or the guillotine, right? Like, I mean, you get the option. Um, and, and I think Konkin wasn't necessarily in favor of the guillotine, but, um, or, or maybe I'm wrong, but, uh, I, that idea of trying to find an equal balance makes more sense than the criminal justice system we have right now. The trouble is that we're not we're not allowing entrepreneurs to to apply their creative mindset to the, the criminal justice system. So we don't know <laughs> who knows how they would how they would structure things. But it would only it's only through the market that we Hayek thought the market was a like competition was a discovery procedure is what he called it. And I think it's completely true. Like we don't there's the only way to discover what the proper criminal justice system looks like is to allow entrepreneurs to compete with one another. Yeah, I feel like asking me or any of us really how the fuck we're, we would go about with criminal justice is very much akin to like asking me how we would fucking I don't know how we, how we would go about creating roads in a free state. It's like. I don't know. <laughs> like, as long as it's on the up and up and it's not breaking the NAP or whatever the fuck, I don't really give a shit. You know, like, I mean, and it'll be a competing market like you kind of got at. So that's kind of part of why this is just superior, you know. So, I Would, would you have chosen something that was different than uh, whatever your sentence was, Clean? Would, would you have chosen nonprofit volunteer work or something like that? Oh fuck yeah, 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 yeah! You get me out of jail today, I'll go do a nonprofit. Yeah, for sure, one hundred percent. You know, I sat in county for four months just waiting on a court date. You know, yeah, twenty-four hour lockdown in a cell in a two-man cell locked in there with five other people. You know, yeah, get me the fuck out of jail today, and we I'll do whatever yeah. kind of comfy, cozy stuff you want me to do for the community. You know, give me that option. I do you feel. Do you feel that the criminal, that's a stupid question. I know most of us feel that the criminal justice system does not treat people that come out the tail end of it as if they've paid their debt, right? Like, or, you know, whatever trope you want to put to it, right? Um, but uh, what does that, I, I know you're saying like that you can't necessarily put your finger on what the world would look like without these centralized controls in place because, you know, the, the sky's the limit. It's an organic process, right? Like it would evolve. Um, what's one step that, you know, I, are you are you all big proponents of, say, activism in the sense of protest and, um, you know, any kind of the any kind of the 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 push non-political pushback? Or is there also a skepticism associated with some of these you know, protest movements that have happened as of late because a lot of them end up being co-opted and just become a political entity of themselves. 
generally speaking, like at least when it comes to like protests, I'm kind of not really a big fan of them. I mean, I guess it really depends on what you're talking about. But I do think, in a sense, especially if it's if it's to protest some political bullshit, it's kind of in a sense accepting that they have the right to do that. Like you're arguing with the, the you're you're pleading to the king, please don't do this. Is essentially what you're doing. Where it should just be like, fuck you, I'm gonna do what I want. So that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, these are these are these are gradualist approaches, and gradualism presupposes that they have a right that like in other words it presupposes that your rights are up for debate and that's that i don't i don't i don't agree with that like i'm not i'm not in favor of any approach that's like incremental i'm either free or i'm a slave it's like I'm not partially free i'm not partially your slave i'm either a free man or i'm dead because i'm not going to be a slave so it's one of the two and it's, there's really no no room for middle ground my, like i said my rights aren't up for debate especially with politicians yeah Wait, what's your thoughts on thoughts on that, Clean? What's the question again? I was just kind of <laughs> lost. I was like, "Sorry, guys." I, in, in terms of like <laughs> political protest and activism, do you think that that's something that I that is effective? One or two? Do you think it ends up just end up becoming another political entity? Ah. I, I have yet to see a big time protest be anything but bad in the long run and be counter to what the uh, protest was seeking to achieve. Most notably, obviously, last summer we saw the BLM protest turn into the biggest mechanism for divisiveness this country has ever seen. You know, overnight, it, they actually got libertarians to cheer a boog boy getting shot at a protest. If y'all remember, what was his name? Garrett Foster? Forrester? Yeah, what was Garrett. His name? Yeah, Foster. Yeah, I, I remember that happening and being like, holy shit. You know, like that you gotta gotta hand it to them, man. They turned that around real good. I mean, overnight, you know, all of a sudden we went from talking about police brutality to talking about, man, this BLM organization is the biggest threat to civil liberty that we have today. And it's like I, I don't know, man. I don't think that protests can get that big and it ever be a good thing. I, I think maybe there might be a small fleeting moment where they could be positive, but that's never going to make it to the media. We're never going to see it as a nation, nationwide type of movement type thing. What's your thoughts, Sal? You, you uh Made a move to the mic there on that one. No, I, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. I just agree 100% with everything both of you guys said. It's just never effective, even in like the protests in like the like, colonial America that are sort of famous. Like, oh, that shit was like tax protests. It was them throwing tea into the ocean. That was their form of protest. Like, yeah. it, it, I don't think, you know, especially if you look at Venezuela and places like that, you congregate large numbers of dissidents in one location for the enemy. What do you think they're going to do? Like they're going to turn their tanks and their guns on you. Like, I think a lot of times people just act passionately and they don't actually like think logically, and that's that's part of the problem too. I it's definitely a lot of emotion. Do you, do you think that the American Revolution would have played out, could have played out still without the traditional, you know, raise an army and fight a war? Like, do you think that they could have essentially broke the back of England through more agorism? Um, which which they were kind of doing at the beginning, right? And like most of them were, you know, bootleggers and and right. uh, you know they were they were trading uh, in the black and gray markets, you know, even then. Yes, yeah, Sam Adams is one of my heroes because he used um, 
counter-economics to sort of rile the American public behind them. And that's, that's the whole reason that we have an America. If it wasn't for counter-economics, there would be no America. Um, and like I said, the tax protest, the, the stamp protest, all of these things that they were, this is all counter-economic activity. What they weren't doing, though, is they weren't like, hey, guys, we need to, we need to all get together and form a political party. And we you know we have to go out there and we have to find a guy and we're going to vote for him. Even when they found the guy to vote for, the guy's like, are you crazy? Why are you voting for me? I don't we, – we just fought a word. Let's stop. They're like, please, George Washington, please be the president. He's like, fine, I'll do it. But like, he, like my whole point is that without counter-economics, there is no American Revolution. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. No, I, the, the, that, that, I, that is also something that I think a lot of people – uh, kind of like draw tribal lines around is this idea of, you know, I again, being in New Jersey, like a lot of folks are like, you know, yeah, we were one of the, you know, the places where a lot of things happened during the revolution. And, you know, we were part of the resistance against the crown and things like that. Um, and the problem was that you also had like-minded or not like-minded, but you had other people in your own community that were not of that mindset. They were, you know, more, they, they were still, you know, wanted allegiance to the crown. Um, is, is the, and, and I'm going to ask this question for my curiosity, but also because I, a lot of, I think a lot of people might need this question answered, is if someone doesn't want liberty, would an agorist, uh, an agorist say that, um, forcing liberty on someone who doesn't want liberty isn't an aggression. I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't force someone to be free, right? So, if like, and let's not forget the, the difference between negative and positive rights. So, I mean, what am I going to do? I'm going to forcibly leave you alone. That you know, it's, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make sense. You know? <laughs> well, no, but in the terms, in in terms of. Um, you know, say, say like in the city, like the cities are the perfect example here. I, th I think, I think we would all agree that it would be easier for, you know, the Agora to exist in the rural areas in this country. Um, I don't know if it would be a slam dunk, but it would be easier, right? As soon as you get that centralized popular, you know, concentrated population, which most of them end up being hyper centralized in terms of their governance, their oversight and things like that. Um, if those folks didn't want to, you know, essentially go in the direction of, uh, you know, folks that are, are, are of the mindset of liberty, um, is it considered an aggression to, you know, try and politically beat them out and, and essentially force uh, political views on them? I mean, is that basically just another form of statism? I'm, kind of, I'm sort of confused on what you mean. You, like, so like in other words, you're saying if we, if we have the Agora, but then there's this enclave of people who want to form a state. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, yeah. I mean, like I, I don't think – I mean, one of my positions was that people talk about secession. And I was like, you don't need an entire state to secede. You should just basically emancipate the cities because that's like the real concentration point of – centralized government control. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I understand what but, you're saying. But so, so what I'm saying is, like, if, if, if your goal was to, you know, politically overpower the centralizers of government in the cities, I mean, is that technically an aggression if people are like, you know what, I kind of like a really strong central government? If you do it through politics, then yeah, right? So if you're, if the whole thing is like, oh, like I'm going to 
force my small government views on you, then sure, yeah, of course. Like, you know, Ron DeSantis is still a tyrant. It's not just because he's good on COVID, he's still a tyrant, right? He's still forcing me to pay for police. He's a dope um, tyrant, but a tyrant. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't think it's possible. The other thing, too, is that in the cities, there's actually more counter-economic opportunities than there is in the rural areas because there's more things that are regulated and prohibited in those areas. So there's more opportunities for agorists to engage the black and gray markets. Hmm. And, and uh, John chimed in. He said, I think being in a city makes you less visible than living in a rural area. That's an interesting point because – you do have kind of more cover, right? Like in that in that environment as well. I think you may um, be like from a economic perspective, there may be more like if you're looking at the city versus rural, like you may have more of a um, opportunity, if you will. So for the entrepreneurs who want to engage in counter economic activity, I think in the future these like authoritarian cities that we'll have, I think there will be like a that is the ideal spot for an entrepreneur trying to engage in that activity. But at the end of the day, like the rural, I think will be better as a like, as a whole, if you will. But like that's the spot. If you want to go like make the big money as an econom- as a counter economics person, like you might, the city will probably be a good spot because the more the state stamps down, the more of a demand there is. But like, so if you're like a single guy who's like just like trying to trying to get some money, you know, make, make a little dough here and there, you know, dip and dodge around the state, the city would probably be a place for you. But if you're trying to live a uh, you know, say a, a normal, humble life with your family and such. I mean, I would think in the future, the rural would be, and even now, the rural is a place to be, you know? Yeah. So I think that's what he's getting at. Cause it's like, it provides more opportunity the more the state stamps down. And it's also creates more of a necessity. There will be people who need that type of shit. Cause it's kind of same thing with like the USSR. Like, the more they stamp down, the more the black market was a necessity as opposed to just a luxury, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So what are your thoughts, Clean? Did they did they sell you or what? I mean, they're, they're just some solid points. Welcome, I mean, welcome. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I was never. Here's the thing, man. Like, like I've said, and like I'll, I, I will will hold fast to. There's not a huge. There's not a huge uh, potential, obviously, for anything widespread. But when it comes to drug policy and to content to prevent future Ross Ulbricht from happening for to prevent future clean libertarians, my situation from happening. I do see a value, you know, in, in, in operating within uh, a libertarian party. I will run like hell from anybody who has this idea that we're going to paint the nation gold. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Not in our lifetimes. I mean, hell, even Spike Cohen says like we're 50 elections away from getting a, LP president in the White House. So, I mean, people who have their finger on the pulse will understand that counter economics and the things that like Sal and other people like advocate for have a very real and positive effect that are occurring today. It's just that one little glimmer, man, that criminal justice reform and drug policy. That's where I'm holding on to. I'm white knuckling it, but don't beat me up too bad, Sal. Don't beat me up. Conking even goes into how in the future he thinks there's a good chance that libertarian party will become an arm of, I mean, not that it isn't already, but become more of an arm of the state is if anything, kind of what it is now and walling the, the anarchists into them and be like, Hey, come here. Kind of like a last ditch effort for the state. So, uh, I know you're like over 50, 50 fucking elections away from the uh, presidency, but I mean, in the future, it's not that crazy. Maybe they do get the presidency, but it's kind of the idea of they just become part of the state all the same. Not that they aren't already, but it becomes mm-hmm. more evident. Well, when it comes to that, I'll be working on the Mises Caucus blocking me, too, on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) 
I do you think Sal? Do you think Ross Ulbrich was just early? You think he would have been more successful and able to kind of protect himself better yeah. now than? I mean, if he, he had waited, yeah, if he had waited until we had private defense agencies, then he might be in different circumstances. But the state of the Agora wouldn't. We needed Ross to do what he did at that particular time because he he showed us what cryptocurrency could do, like what the utility of crypto was. Before that, it was just sort of like a novelty, but Ross gave it that that non-monetary value that Menger's regression theorem requires. That's his real contribution. So, yeah, of course, if he was a little bit later, he might not be doing double life plus 40, but the state of the Agora wouldn't be where it is. And it's important to point out that Ross was an, an avowed agorist. He did what he did as an agorist. He he had read J. Neil Shulman's Alongside Night, and he had said, this is what I'm setting out to do, and that that's why they came down on him so hard. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people would look at that and they would be like, oh, well, you know, fine. If you want to be that person, then, you know, go ahead. But then out of the other corner of their mouth, they'll be like, well, you know, dangerous freedom, dangerous freedom. And you're like, you don't understand the concept. Like, I, I'm pretty sure he knew he was going to get nicked at some point, right? Well, I don't – so, like, I don't think anybody should get in trouble. Don't sacrifice yourself to the state. We need you in the market. We don't need you, like, in prison and, like – the way to do that is to practice operational security. And at the time, Ross had the best OPSEC that you could possibly get. Like he had, he was using Tor browsers. This was before they were tracing um, crypto transactions. They didn't, they didn't know, there was, I didn't think there was such thing as blockchain forensics at this time. Um, so he, his OPSEC was great. And like, if you actually read how they got him, they really had to bend over backwards to try to track him down. And once they tracked him down to like get him in the act, like it was a whole, he had great OPSEC, but it just wasn't good enough at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit. I think any, I think everyone that if you're serious about like anarchist or ANCAP and all that shit, I think you should read uh fucking Konkin. Like whether you want to agree with him or not, like, cause I do think he, he has very much been successful in elevating my thinking. I feel like libertarians very much fall into this trap of binary thinking and I know a lot of people make fun of Agris and like, oh, you just want to be like fucking Ruby Ridge or you're going to be like Ulbricht and you're going to get nabbed. And it's like, oh, you're a shitty Agris because you're not completely living in the in the black market or whatever. But it's like people who say dumb shit like that, it's like you clearly haven't read Konkin. Like right. he never said crap like that. It's like he he his whole thing is the, the, the concept of the gray. And that's why like, you know, this whole year, I, it, it couldn't be – this year couldn't be any clearer, you know, opportunity to show like – Y'all motherfuckers need agorism because, like, the whole private company bro argument, it's like, that's fucking conking right there. Like, that's the whole, his whole concept of the gray. Like, it's not black and white. And I know everyone's, somebody's probably screeching at the screen that Rothbard talked about it too. Yes, I know he did too. Konkin just made more of an emphasis of it. But, like, <laughs> like, so, yes, I think there is, you need to take that account. There's, there's grays. It's not just black and white. Like, Konkin legit has a fucking formula in his book on, like, if you should fucking engage in the black right. market or not. Like it's pros and cons. Like you're useless if you're in a cage. So the idea is to not be in a cage, but to kind of push it as far as you can to, you know what I mean? Like don't be that asshole that's driving on the interstate. That's driving, driving exactly the speed limit. Cause no one does that. You know, like you, you kind of ride it up to the edge. Like that's what you do. Cause you like, that's the best thing to do. And I, I it's kind of what agorism is in a nutshell. It's not, it's not like, oh, we're trying to say everyone should completely live in the black market and that's it. No, that's retarded. 
Like, it's just dumb. <laughs> like, you need to do it to – everyone has different circumstances. Do what you can. If that's just as simple as, you know, not reporting – like, your waitress is not reporting your tips, that's all you feel comfortable – the risk you, the only risk you feel uh, comfortable accepting, then that's great. You know, it's it, – and it's still but, something. Yeah, it's something. And even then, it's if it, for me, I feel like it's more that you're. It's if it's if it's almost like a personal thing of where you can be like, I don't feel ashamed of it. So it's like, I mean, if I can talk to my friends and be like, yeah, I don't, you know, I I, I evade taxes here or, or or do that here. And like, obviously, I wouldn't tell an IRS agent that. But like, <laughs> but I'm also not ashamed of it. And they'd be like, oh my god, you're not worried. I'm like, how the fuck are they gonna catch me? <laughs> like, the other thing too is Konkin talks about like making this like an everyday aspect of your lifestyle so that, you know, he, I think he writes about this in, in the manifesto, but like eventually you become to the point where it's like everything you see, you want to turn into a, to some sort of counter economic activity. And I think that's really the key. Like you start off by just tipping your waitress in cash, but before you know it, you're living entirely off cryptocurrency and you're selling 3d printed guns to like the Hong Kong rebels or something like that. Like that's, <laughs> that's the goal here, you know? Yeah, you're you're talking about a friend, right? Not you, right? No, I've never <laughs> in I've Minecraft. Never we we do I've that shit in Minecraft. Too. Yeah, I was I was, I was in the know oddly personal. <laughs> I so uh, I don't want to out you to the feds there, clean, but uh, you got to have some stuff that you're doing that's that's uh, agorist in nature. I would I would think. Yeah, I uh, played the fifth. I played the fifth. I am under. I am. I am. I am one month. A little bit over a month away from my pardon application going in front of the governor, so I am uh, I am living clean as clean can be. I have my nose clean and I have a three D printer. So there we go. We're golden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. so so with that, uh, look, I want to thank you all. I I appreciate you guys taking the time. I know you're all busy. I want to give everyone a last shot on where people can connect with you and follow all of you. So go ahead, Clean. Where can people connect with you and, and follow your content? Yeah, so I have the Clean Libertarian podcast. You can find me on YouTube, um, on all the podcatchers. It, what I talk about is stories of hope and recovery. And I talk about how the 12-step fellowships are actually the free market solution to ending the the problem of drug addiction within our society. Um so yeah, absolutely check me out. Uh, Twitter at clean underscore podcast and at Liberty Drew eighty four. Awesome. What about you, Jose? Uh, you can um, place the most active social media wise is Twitter. Uh, I left Facebook. I used to like Facebook, but you know now it's the big gay. Um, so at Galison Jose, or you can just type in Jose Galison and it'll pop up. Uh, I got the No Way Jose podcast. So it's on YouTube. I'm also on just about anywhere audio podcasts are at. I like money. So if you want to give me that, uh, patreon.com slash No Way Jose 2020. You can also give me crypto at endthefed.app. Uh, I really, really, really want to, I mean, definitely go sub. I'm trying to hit 300 so I can sync my shit up to, to Odyssey. But fucking, if, if I can get you to do anything, go fucking, go sub to clean and go follow clean. Because that motherfucker is pushing the second most important thing there is out there right now. The, the most important being foreign policy. The second po most important being the drug war. So, you know, go fucking support him in any way you can. We're going to try to get 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 Senpai, you know, to know him, you know, the big dogs. You know, fucking try to get, get him on Dave Smith's show these day. He fucking said he was going to, so hold him to it. So, <laughs> and yeah, that's all I got. Yeah. What about you, Sal? Uh, Twitter at Sally Mayweather. I've got a, 
another meme page on Facebook called Print Guns Not Money and uh, 3D Printer Go Burr if you want to buy 3D printers or 3D, 3D printing supplies with cryptocurrency. And AgoraThreads.com where you can buy like clothing and household items for crypto. Awesome. And every so often you do a giveaway on 3D Printer Go Burr, right? Every month we give something away. It's just uh, all you got to do is retweet my pinned tweet. Um, I think there's like, what's today's date? I have a, about an, almost a week left for we're giving away an Ender 3 V2. Next month, I think we're going to be doing a resin printer. So definitely stay tuned for that. Always, you know, just retweet that tweet and you're, you're in. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, look, we're going to have to do this again sometime. Hopefully we can, uh, <laughs> we, we can uh, uh, take it easy on clean next time. He sounds like he's, uh, he's on the verge. So like, I don't know. He just needs a little push over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with that, I will be back tomorrow night, regular time, 7 p.m. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good evening. Thank you, guys.